everyone, and welcome to KZMU's 2021 Candidate Roundtable. I'm Sarah Mead, Station Manager at KZMU. I first want to give out some thank yous that are in order. Thank you to Grand County League of Women Voters for sponsoring this event and also for partnering with KZMU on other educational events that we had during recent unusual times. Uh, we'd also like to thank the Moab Arts and Recreation Center for hosting this event. This is a uh, live broadcast happening from downtown at the Moab Arts and Recreation Center. KZMU is committed to the safety of our staff, listeners, and participants of tonight's event, so we're following COVID safety protocols. Uh, we are proud to present this event in alignment with our mission, which is to inform, educate, engage, entertain, and connect the communities of Southeastern Utah. I also want to say uh, today on Indigenous Peoples Day, we acknowledge this land as Ute territory. KZMU is committed to honoring and lifting up the indigenous history of this place, as well as the voices and stories of all native people living here today. We encourage our listeners to learn and take action to support indigenous organizations and individuals in our community. With that, I'm gonna pass it off to our, K our news and public affairs director, Molly Marcello, hosting tonight's event. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you, volunteers, and especially thank you, candidates, for being here with us. There are five people before me now running for two open seats on the Moab City Council. That means two of these candidates will be the next decision makers for Moab City. And it's up to you listeners and voters to decide who will best represent you for the next four years. Um, we're going to start off with some rapid fire introductions from the candidates. Um, candidates have been asked to give their name and quickly list three top issues they are most interested in addressing if they are elected to the city council. Candidates, feel free to approach the mics in any order. Anyone want to go first? Luke. Okay. Thank you. Hi, my name is Luke Wojciechowski, and I'm running for city council in hopes to address affordable housing, community representation, and quality of life in Moab. My name is Jason Taylor, and um, the three things that I'm really interested in addressing, if elected, would be infrastructure for the town of Moab, you know, getting back to taking care of the people who live here and the infrastructures here, affordable housing, and I'd also like to address um, the, the noise issues that, that we've been facing as a as citizens of Moab. My name is Mike McCurdy. Uh, my main reasons for running are, uh, as, uh, as everyone, affordable housing, uh, budgeting and taxation, and economic st uh, sustainability in the nearest future. Hey Moab, uh, my name is Josie Kovash. I'm running for city council. Uh, like a lot of the other candidates, my top issues are housing and economic diversification, uh, maintaining a high quality of life for the people who live here and effectively managing tourism to do so, uh, and also sustainability and climate resiliency. Thank you. Hi, my name is Anthony Charles. Um, my three main ideas are for universal basic income, which will extremely help the housing issues. Um, trying to, my other one is trying to cool the valley off by planting trees and repainting the roads into a tan color to reflect some of the heat. And the UTV uh, issues <laughs> Thank you so much, candidates, for those brief introductions. Um, I'm going to take a minute to explain how tonight's event will work. First off, KZMU and the League of Women Voters have drafted general questions that will be posed to all candidates. 
Once we're through with those, our media partners at the Times Independent and the Moab Sun News will be asking individualized questions of each candidate based on statements that candidate has made to the paper. And if we have time, we will ask a general listener submitted question to all candidates. I believe we will have time. So candidates will be under time limits when answering each question. Um, our amazing timekeeper, Alice Drogan, is here um, from the Grand County League of Women Voters. Thank you so much, Alice. Candidates will have 90 seconds to respond to each question. When they have 15 seconds remaining, Alice will hold up a sign that reads 15 seconds. Uh, when they've reached their time, she may ring a little bell. There we go. This means the candidate needs to finish their sentence and uh, leave uh, the microphone. Uh, we do ask our small live audience to keep a respectful silence after each candidate speaks, reserving their applause until the end of the event. Uh, we are here to participate in an important exercise in democracy, and we, train, and we aim to treat everyone in this space with fairness and equity. Uh, candidates will be answering questions in rotating alphabetical order, so without further ado, uh, let's start this. Anthony Charles, you are up first. Josie Kovash, uh, you are on deck. All right, this summer, after much public outcry, the current city council chose not to raise the property tax rate from zero. But one of the big reasons the new property tax was considered in the first place was the estimated tens of millions of dollars in deferred capital projects affecting public infrastructure. Although the property tax rate discussion at least might have gone away for now, the need for capital projects among other pressing issues has not. Um, you've likely familiarized yourselves with the city budget. Um, are you open to a new property tax rate in the future? If so, why? If not, why not? And how is Moab going to pay for its needs, including deferred maintenance? Well, the property tax should be a yes, but it has to be done correctly. Um, just getting a revenue source going, um, I have some ideas of with the UTV stuff to make that revenue for the city and it'll be, I can see it'd be millions of dollars coming in directly to the city. Um, with the stuff that's being built, um, I think they need to be held to a little bit higher of a standard because they're just telling us what to do the whole time. So they need to be the ones that are showing, you know, what needs to be, how they need to react to it. Um, yeah, I, that's, yeah. Okay. Thank you, Anthony. You're welcome. Josie, you're up next. And candidates, if you want me to repeat any portion of the question while you're at the microphone, please let me know. Um, I might have the whole question. <laughs> okay, so, um, you know, one of the biggest reasons a new property tax was considered um, by the current city council was the estimated tens of millions of dollars in deferred capital projects that affect public infrastructure. Um, the property tax rate discussion is sort of tabled, but it could come back um, if you're elected to the city council. Um, are you open to a new property tax rate in the future? If so, why? If not, why not? And how would Moab pay for its needs, including deferred maintenance? Thanks, Molly. Um, I agree a bit with Anthony that uh, I don't think the property tax issue will go away completely. Um, but what we heard loud and clear from residents is that they don't want to have the entire economic burden 
of the impacts of tourism um, on their wallets. Uh, and I think that's important to address. So I think as the city moves forward in thinking about a property tax in the future, um, that there would need to be mechanisms built in to ensure that um, those that are on uh, a budget um, are not significantly impacted by something as a property tax. Um, and as that as much as possible, a property tax is predominantly affecting um, second homeowners and people that actually have the means to pay into that. Um, so that being said, as far as the budget and the obvious expenses that need to be part of that, um, I've worked for a lot of nonprofits in this community, including this, this one, and uh, you just have to get really creative about ways to generate revenue. Um, I think grants uh, are something that can continue to be a robust source of revenue for the city. Um, there's obviously things coming down federally around specifically things uh, like green infrastructure. Um, and I think in spending money in Moab, we need to stack necessities uh, with visionary things. Uh, so for instance, in uh, fixing our ailing infrastructure, we also make sure that it's a green infrastructure moving forward. Thank you, Josie. Up next is Mike. Mike, same thing. If you need me to repeat any part of the question, let me know. You're okay. You can abbreviate if you'd like, but I would like a reread. <laughs> okay. So this is about property tax rates. Uh, the current city council chose not to raise the property tax rate from zero. Um, things like deferred capital projects affecting public infrastructure have not gone away, even though the discussion around property tax rate might have gone away for now. Are you open to a new property tax rate in the future? If so, why? If not, why not? And how will Moab pay for its needs, uh, including deferred maintenance? Um, from a standpoint, I am completely not open to uh, raising the property taxes that we currently have. Um, there are different ways of finding those revenue sources. Uh, those revenue sources uh, are, I mean, our main revenue source is tourism, and that's the main uh, direction I would like to push uh, to, def uh, to finance uh, all of the deferred, uh, I mean, infrastructure becoming number one of them. Uh, we're not the only ones living here that use the infrastructure. Uh, we shouldn't be the only ones paying for them. Uh, that's my feel on that. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Jason, you're up. Same question, huh? <laughs> 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 um, I, I think that in the end, when this is all said and done, there may be a need for a tax. But I think that we need to look at every viable option besides saying we're going to do it. And I think that we need to tax according to what we need, not according to what our wants, you know, or desires are. We need to come up with a budget list. And I think one of the reasons why it failed to begin with is because they didn't have a firm idea of what they wanted it for. And, um, and one of the things that I saw was that over the years, they've seen, we've been seeing about a five to seven to eight percent um, increase in tax revenue profits. And we budgeted for that. You know, we put that into the general fund and we've spent it before we've gotten it. And we've got, you know, we, we're, we're hoping that next year we get this money and, and why so we've, you know, we budget for it. What I would like to do and one of the things that I would propose is that you don't, you don't count on that money. You know, that we budget according to what, what came in that year. And if we, if we get a 5%, if we give them 7%, that that money is earmarked for infrastructure. That that money is earmarked to take care of the, of the failing infrastructures that we have in the city. And then at that time we can say, hey, we need a million dollars to um, to to finish this water project, or we need sidewalks. But I don't think that 
we should be um, we should not be funding um, tourism based expenses and this that includes law enforcement um, you know and, and um, things like that you know that so that's where I stand on that okay thank you Jason Luke you're up yeah I think this is a great question um, I personally believe that uh, like I understand that the property tax is coming from the city trying to be fiscally responsible I believe that at first the city really needs to prove that it can be fiscally responsible. Um, I know that we've maxed out most of our sales tax revenue. I think there's one tax that they're looking into to see if we can still increase a little bit. Uh, but I think that we can potentially increase our revenue through increased code enforcement efforts and as uh, Josie had mentioned, is through grants. Uh, many federal grants require a match, but that doesn't necessarily always mean that it has to come in the form of cash. I think we can really leverage uh, Moab's uh, community of volunteerism as that's one of the allowable in-kind matches uh, to help us get funds into uh, addressing a lot of the uh, long-standing like infrastructure projects that have been put off. I, I honestly also think that we need to focus some of our time upstate and get them to allow us to keep more of the revenues gotten from the almost half a billion dollars in taxable sales that come through here every single year. Uh, we can't be afraid to push back against the state as their desire to extract more revenues is coming at the cost of our community right now. Thank you, candidates. Uh, this next question, uh, we'll go to Josie Kovash first with Mike McCurdy on deck. So one of the uh, biggest departments at City Hall is the Moab City Police. This department has been in the national, state, and local spotlight recently for various reasons. Um, right now, an outside law enforcement agency is investigating the Moab PD's response to an August call about possible domestic violence. Days after this investigation was announced, uh, Moab City confirmed that the police chief was taking a leave of absence. And our 7th District Court judge recently stated that the misuse of body cameras is a, quote, institutional problem at the Moab City Police Department. Meanwhile, earlier this year, the city council was asked to find more money for the police department, mainly to hire more officers. This was one of the reasons the current council at one point considered raising the property tax. Moab's chief of police has repeatedly said that his department is overburdened. We'd like to know if you've been following these varied issues. Do you have any concerns about the police department? If so, what are they? If elected to the city council, how will you be approaching the Moab City Police Department and why? All right. Thanks, Molly. Um, yeah, it's our, our city police force has been in the news a lot lately, um, and it does kind of stack up to look uh, like some sort of pattern. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily a condemning pattern, but it's a pattern of something not quite working. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm a, of a couple of minds. Um, I think that we need to both, you know, support and scrutinize our police force, um, and those need to go hand in hand and resources and training should match our expectations and vice versa. Um, you know, I think training should include a lot of both soft skills and hard skills because a lot of times those gaps are around um, dealing with people and especially different um, mar margins of people. Um, and so that's really important, um, especially with the potential for people of certain subgroups being mistreated because it's really, really absolutely essential that all people have trust in their police departments. Um, so I've 
personally had some really great interactions as of late with some people on our police force. I think I've lived here long enough to see a general trend in a positive direction. And so my optimism is that there will continue to be uh, a re relationship with the city police department um, on giving them the tools and resources and also expecting that those things will happen. Thank you, Josie. Mike, uh, you are up next. I actually don't need to reread on this one. So. Okay. <laughs> uh, my views on the current uh, police uh, concerns. Uh, there have been many concerns, uh, but for me to say anything on the subject is an outsider looking in. Um, I cannot right now without knowing all the facts and uh, I mean, most of us in this room, I don't think know every fact that went into uh, our current concerns with it. Uh, so everything would just be a, a simple opinion. It should be made, uh, based off of facts. Um, there is a concern, uh, a deep concern that we should be able to uh, take care of and we should have actually years ago. Uh, we don't have enough police uh, men or police persons uh, on the force. I really think we're down to about five right now and it simply comes down to housing and getting them into town. Um, we should be able to fix these issues uh, and get more, uh, be it hard and soft uh, sides. Uh, we really don't have the people right now and that's my biggest concern going into this. So. Thank you, Mike. Jason? You know, I, I spent 12 years running for Grand County EMS. Um, I spent many, many hours working with Moab Police Department, with Grand County Sheriff's Office, the National Park Service. These guys have hard jobs. You know, I've watched these guys put their arms around people when a loved one is, is deceased in a car. You know, I've watched these guys do a lot of really hard things. I think it's unfair, and I think that, yeah, there's probably room for improvement. There's probably room for growing. You know, to, to what, what, the, what the judge said is something that needs to look at. As far as the investigation goes, um, I think that that's something that I, I can't really comment on, that I shouldn't comment on until the investigation's finished and they come out with it, you know, because what I know is probably the same thing that, that, that we've seen on the news and, and, and I don't know the answer to it. Um, I agree that we do have um, a force that's probably not as where as it should be. It's not as big as it should be. And I think one of those is, issues is budgets. You know, we're, we're asking these guys to do a lot of stuff for not much pay. We're asking them to work hard hours for not much pay. We're asking them to carry an emotional burden for not much pay. And yeah, there's, there's always ways that we can um, support, you know, that we need to support these guys and there's ways that they can get better. And, um, and I would be committed to working and doing what's needed to be done to, to fix it, you know, to help with it. You know, I think I wanna be a part of the solution. And all right. Thank you, Jason. Luke, you're up next. Yeah, I think it's important to understand and recognize that the police play a vital and important role in helping address many of the serious issues that plague our community, including domestic violence and assault, uh, but also a lot more of the day-to-day -day stuff uh, like code enforcement. Um, I think it's also important to acknowledge, as some of the other candidates have, that there are numerous factors that really complicate the jobs of these officers, uh, ranging from being understaffed to being overrun from, by tourists from all over the world. Um, and I think it is important that we show support to our officers who are trying to support our community on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, we very frequently are only ever made aware of uh, the issues that arise, but not the day-to-day -day, uh, kind of 
acts of kindness that Jason had alluded to. However, with that said, I also do firmly believe that any individuals in our community that find themselves in any elevated positions of community trust, um, and this includes law enforcement, need to hold themselves to be held to a higher standard. And I honestly believe that there's always room for improvement. Um, but with that, uh, I was Seek Haven's representative on the police's use of force policy review group. And during that process, I saw a lot of willingness to receive feedback. I'm seeing that the police department is actively trying to engage in with local community organizations to see how they can better handle future situations. And I'm hopeful that with all of that, that the city and the police department can be up to the challenge of greater accountability moving forward. Thank you, Luke. Um, Anthony, you're up next. All right, so living here my whole life, I will say the police force has gotten drastically better. Um, I feel like the reason why we are so low staffed on all of this is because the state keeps taking all of our money and thinking they know what's right and they have no, they have zero idea what's going on down here. I sent a video to one of the senators and I, only, I titled it as, uh, what law do you see as being broken? And he messaged me back and said, oh, I think your parking enforcement needs to do something about that. So I messaged back like, have you ever been to Moab? Do you even know that there, there is zero parking anything here? And I just think it's the state needs to back off. They are overburdening, overburdening, there we go. And they, they just, they, they keep taking and fixing everything else, but uh, our community. They're expecting us to give all the money to them and we're getting pretty much nothing in return. A little bit, but not, I mean, that's like taking a corner of the cracker and going, that, that's enough. So it's, there's things that the state needs to realize that they are doing something very wrong. And we should be able to control some of that better than they can. So, right, thanks. Thank you, candidates. Um, this next question, we're moving right through it here. It's going to be shorter than my long preambles. Um, so over the past year, oh, I should say this goes to Mike first, um, and Jason, uh, you're on deck. Uh, over the past year, our community had many discussions about noisy vehicles, um, including but not limited to ATVs and UTVs. Um, what is your opinion about the steps the city has taken so far to address noise? And what, if anything different or additional, would you advocate for during your term? You know, I don't have the answers for everything. And it comes down to, I really do know people and uh, experts in the, uh, in the field. Uh, we should actually, for this question, honestly have uh, Mr. Friedman from USU come up. He is the one doing the studies uh, to see where the noise is coming from the most uh, and direct resources at that. Um, it would be simple just to have more open discussions uh, with people who actually are subject matter experts. And we should be having these open discussions, I mean, consistently in future planning. Um, I'm not completely 100% behind with uh, current policies uh, that have been put in place but uh, noise has been reduced uh, around my house in just as a citizen of uh, the city. Um, and I'd like to explore that further, but I would reach out to subject matter experts on that. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Mike. Jason? This is something I've been trying to learn a lot about um, and because I, I hear it at my house. You know, I, my wife and I joke around that we can sit in our front yard and we can listen to UTVs come off of Sand Flats Road. 
we can go in our backyards and we can listen to semis with their engine brakes coming into town, you know? So, so it's an issue. I get it, you know? And, um, Moab's a unique place. You know, we're, Moab is located, it's kind of this, this hub, and you can get to doing anything really quickly. You can be mountain biking, hiking, um, you know, doing a lot of different activities super fast out of this hub. And one of those activities is riding UTVs and, um, and going out. And the way that Moab is located, the way that Sand Flats, which is probably the most popular 4x4 trail, I would, I would reckon, in the Western United States, you know. And it's literally, it's, it's, it's one mile from Anthony's house. It's 1.5 miles um, from my house, you know. I hear it all the time. It's an issue. It needs to be fixed. In the last six months, I counted up the stats. There's been 20,000 UTVs that have gone through Sand Flats in the last six months, according to, to the website. We need to figure out the noise. And I think we've, we've come up with some good ideas. I am, I am pro-business. I'm very pro-business. But I, I think we need to figure out. We came up with ideas to fix the noise. But are we implementing those, those ideas? Are we enforcing the decibel limits? Are we enforcing the speed limits? I don't know that we are. I know I haven't seen it from where I live. And I feel like this is a huge injustice by not doing that. Thank you, Jason. Luke. Um, yeah, so I think this is another one of those situations where the state is really preventing us from being able to implement simple common sense solutions at the expense of our community. Um, we're left with very little ability to regulate noise in town. And although I'm definitely uncomfortable with anything that seems to target local businesses, particularly since I believe that they have the greatest incentive to be better stewards of our public lands, particularly relative to private UTV owners, um, I also need to be mindful that as a council member, I would have a responsibility to represent the interests of the community at large and the rest of the business community as well. I've been talking to a lot of people in other business or another tourist oriented businesses, and they've been hearing from their customers that uh, the UTVs kind of running amok are having a negative impact on their experience in Moab and is making them less likely and willing to want to come back to our community. Um, I've also heard how profound of an effect UTVs have on the lives of so many of our residents. Um, and I kind of get reminded that one of the hallmarks of the character of rural communities is quiet. And that's something that that's absolutely getting in the way of. And so, although at the end of the day, I don't want to be anti-UTV business, I do want to be pro-community and pro-other business. Okay. Thank you, Luke. Anthony, you're up next. And candidates, I can repeat a question if you need it. So I feel like I've been super loud about this, and I feel like I have to be louder than them. And um, you said there was 20,000 that went up in a month? No, or since uh, April. Since April? Okay, so that means I had to listen to it 40,000 times. So every time they drive by, I start to get dizzy because of the frequency that the UTVs centrifugal clutch makes and nobody wants to take me seriously on that that's why i'm running for this because this terrorism has to end the utv vehicle is a terrorist vehicle by nature they don't care i have had to ask so many people to get off the, the sidewalks this is a sidewalk not a side parking for utvs and then they just flip me off and punch it and drive down a little further and get back on the sidewalk and part like blocking people into driveways like this crap has to stop. So what I came up with, we opt out and then we make our own rules and we push all of them to Main Street since we got this brand new giant highway 
out on the river road next to Goose Island, there's that big culvert that you drive, to, you know, drive up and then you drop into Goose Island. Right there's the new entrance to Hell's Revenge and Sand Flats. We put a $25 three-day pass thing on there and there's a gigantic monstrous revenue. Let's say it takes five or $10 to maintenance the road. The other 15 goes to nonprofits every month, a different nonprofit, and then even to the hospital to help alleviate hospital bills. So thank you. Thank you, Anthony. And Josie, uh, you're up. Thanks, Molly. I think just for the listeners and a little bit for me, I'd love to just hear the question sure, one more time. Let's do it. Um, over the past year, our community had many discussions about noisy vehicles, including but not limited to ATVs and UTVs. What is your opinion about the steps the city has taken so far to address noise? And what, if anything different or additional, would you advocate for during your term? Thank you. Um, yeah, I've been quite vocal on this issue as well. And I honestly don't think there is a lot of room for debate within people who actually live in Moab. Um, I've talked to a lot of people uh, in campaigning and, you know, with all the other issues that we're facing, I still think this is one of the ones that comes up the most just because it's affecting people so immediately and so severely. Um, I do think that we have to not be afraid to take really big steps um, in this and to take all steps. You know, the reality is that we live in a state that um, has severely limited our ability to autonomously deal with this um, and to not exercise every single thing available to us because if we were allowed by the state uh, to just self-regulate as all other states in the union who have street legal UTVs are allowed to do, um, then there would be no issue. But because there is, then we have to exercise everything that's in our toolkit. I think what the city has done is a good, a good start. I think what the county has done is uh, an even better start. Um, and I do think that using um, business licensing, land use code, um, those kinds of tools available to us, we can make a big difference that way with rentals. Um, I do think it is not anti-business to do so um, because as many candidates have said, all of our other businesses are going to leave if this issue goes um, unmet. And ultimately, it's a public health issue because noise is a public health issue. Thank okay. you. Thank you, Josie, and thank you so much, candidates. If you're just tuning in, this is KZUMU's 2021 Candidate Roundtable supported by the Grand County League of Women Voters. We are with the five candidates running for two open seats on the Moab City Council. I'm Molly Marcello, News and Public Affairs Director at KZUMU. We are now going to open the floor to our media partners, uh, the Moab Sun News and the Times Independent. They will be posing different questions to each candidate on the same topic. The questions here have been tailored to each candidate based on previous statements that candidate has made to their paper. Uh, representing the Times Independent is reporter Carter Poppy. The topic is housing. Uh, we're going to start with Jason Taylor. Candidate Luke Wojciechowski is on deck. And I pass the mic to Carter. Thank you, Molly. Uh, so, Jason, you said in response to our questions a few months ago now about housing, uh, quote, changes in uh, such things like density could have a negative impact on the current residents and they need to have a voice. Reform of city zoning in the future may be limited to future undeveloped parcels while working with developers, end quote. Urban sprawl tends to have negative impacts on residents by increasing co living costs and harming the environment. 
why in your view is it so important to listen to the people opposing higher density housing in their neighborhoods when higher densities would create additional housing opportunities and likely reduce costs? You want me to keep this to 100 words? Because <laughs> 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 it's almost been impossible. <laughs> You know, I think that there's a lot of people who have lived in Moab for a long time. There's a lot of people who, who have, their, their, have developed this quality of life, and I think that they need, to have a, they need to have a voice in what happens to their community. That as we um, increase higher density, that maybe there's areas in Moab where that higher density works, but maybe there's not areas, maybe there are areas where it's just not going to work. And where people, you know, you, you brought up... Um, NIMBY a lot, you know, and I think that we need to balance NIMBY with the needs of the people and stuff. I am against, um, or I think that there should be a voice of the people when we're talking about things like, um, like changing zoning for um, people to put camp trailers on their personal property or put camp trailers with people living in them in front of their houses when most of Moab doesn't have sidewalks, you know, and now you have camp trailers parked on, on, si- on the roads where people, where little kids walking to school, they can't walk to school on a sidewalk, um, and they have to walk out in the middle of the road because there's, because there's maybe a camp trailer with people living in it is what one of the zoning issue, or one of the zoning suggestions that was put out a couple months ago. So I think that just we just can't do this stuff blindly with the planning commission and whoever thing. We need to talk to the neighbors. We need to talk to people, and they need to have a voice in what happens in their neighborhoods because this is something that's going to affect the, the town and these neighborhoods for um, for years to come. Thanks, Jason. Uh, Luke, so you said in response to that same set of questions about housing, quote, we know that the free market is not going to solve our housing problems, no matter how many new units get built, end quote. Uh, But there's research on this that directly contradicts your claim. As one of many examples, a 2002 paper out of the Harvard Institute of Economic Research concludes that high housing costs in places with overwhelmingly democratic governance uh, capital D, at the local level has more to do with zoning than conventional free market models. So what evidence do you have that enabling more housing construction won't solve our problems? Um, I think that's a great question. Uh, I guess I'm trying to say that solely building is not going to get us out of this situation. All we have to do is look around all of the other resort communities out west and supply and demand curves do not work if demand is insatiable, which is what we're seeing in every single resort community that is experiencing a similar housing crisis such as ours. We do not have a local housing market because whenever a house goes up on sale, we have to compete at a national, if not international level. And so we can't compete. Um, And so I think it's incumbent to update our outdated zoning code to uh, be able to focus more on meeting the needs of the community and recognizing the fact that Moab doesn't necessarily operate on regular market uh, factors. All we have to do is look back to the housing or to the crisis of 2008 where housing uh, prices plummeted all around the country, whereas Moab's dipped a little bit. We don't play by the same rules out here, and so we have to respond to these situations differently than uh, typical logic would suggest. So. Okay, thanks, Luke. Anthony, uh, so you said in response to pretty much every question we've asked that a universal basic income is the way to solve most of Moab's problems, including housing. Uh, That's an extremely ambitious plan that could end up being closely scrutinized or even preempted by the Utah legislature, attorney general, or and the governor. 
uh, convince me and the audience that you have a legally and politically feasible plan to convert this talk into action? Well, Alaska does it, and they're pretty much a Republican state, so why can't our Republican state do the same thing? They go off oil, we'll go off tor tourism, of course. Um, the uh, transit tax that we just did could very easily be redone. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but it could be redone, and then that's where the universal basic income would come from, is out of rewriting that tax to better suit the community for, you know, making it to where it goes into a fund that Moab, the city, controls, and then let that sit in the fund for a year so we know where the tax rate could be set at, and then we can adjust it, you know, throughout the time. And uh, at the end of that year, anywhere from five to $750 would be mailed out to every year-round local. Um, and like I said, it's just going to have to be a rewrite of the tax since we're all, we're capped out basically on what we can do with taxes, says the state. But again, it's just the state doesn't understand what's actually happening down here. And they just need to realize it. And that's one of the ways that I think they'll once they start hearing it, they'll start realizing there's, there has to be a change. They can't keep doing the way they're doing. Thanks. Okay, thanks Anthony. Uh, Josie, so you advocated in response to our questions about housing, uh, quote, finding solutions on common ground that reinforce rather than undermine what people love about their neighborhoods, end quote. Uh, for some people, the thing that they love about their neighborhood is the way it exists today. In other words, they do not love the prospect of it changing. How are you going to balance the interests of people, the interests that people have in the status quo with the need to change zoning in existing neighborhoods to promote affordability and higher densities? Yeah, thanks for that. Um, that's a good question. Uh, I think similar to the pushback on the property tax, um, the pushback on higher density housing uh, in Moab is something to be learned from, uh, something to pivot from. Uh, I was surprised at the time being a resident of the R2 uh, neighborhood where a lot of that pushback came from, um, that that was a thing because I thought everybody's for housing. Um, we clearly need our workforce to be housed and we need our goods and services to be uh, surviving in our community for all of us to be thriving. Um, so I think there's a balance because uh, there are obvious templates that work, um, like Luke said, we're, we're not the only ones in this situation. And, um, and I think that's the good news is that so many other people are in the same situation. So we have a huge brain trust to draw ideas from. Um, and also I think some of the larger issues like economic inequality that are affecting this issue are gonna start to happen uh, on a much broader level, both regionally and uh, nationally. But back to the local side of things, I think people are realizing how crucial it is um, to find housing solutions. And I do believe that if we have the right conversations and really make sure that those things happen as conversations between the city and the public, um, that we can workshop ideas instead of bringing them to a point where it's just yay or nay. Um, and I think we can do that moving forward. Thanks, Jesse. And Mike, uh, you said that a good place to start with zoning reform when we asked about it is, quote, newer areas outside of fully developed original neighborhoods, end quote. 
You also said, quote, apartments are what Moab needs, and there are plenty of great locations for apartments that wouldn't cause a rift with existing neighborhoods, end quote. Why should the city council choose where apartments go? Why is that not a decision for home builders and the people buying the property where they hope to make a home? Why are apartments a good idea? We're going to break that down a little bit. Apartments are a good idea. Well, why, why, is, uh, why should the city council choose rather than the home builders? Uh, city council is the direct effect of zoning and or deed restrictions on city land that's already owned, a.k.a. Walnut Lane and the surrounding area. Uh, they, they're the direct, uh, the buck stops there uh, with the zoning restrictions that can be made or the deed restrictions that can be made on already owned properties within the city. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was easy. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Carter, and the Times Independent. Um, up next, uh, our next series of questions is Allison Hartford, staff reporter at the Moab Sun News. Allison will now be asking questions uh, based on the Sun's election coverage. Um, her questions um, have also been tailored to each candidate based on previous statements they have made to the Moab Sun News. Um, Allison's topic is how to fund projects candidates are passionate about. Um, so funding is key here. Uh, we're going to start with candidate Luke Wojciechowski. Uh, Kennedy and Anthony Charles uh, will be up next. Um, Luke, you've mentioned that you care about, quote, smart future planning for land, water, and resources, unquote. How will you work with the rest of the city council to secure funding for the sustainability department while also funding and integrating sustainability into other departments, such as planning and zoning. Um, yeah, kind of going to be repeating myself here, but coming from the land of nonprofits, um, I, do, I am aware that there is a lot of money out there um, that is available. And so I'd really push for the city to uh, implement a grant manager uh, that can actually look out and try to identify grant and funding sources. Um, I think there's a lot of private foundations out there that are very much pushing, trying to revolutionize energy conscious um, and uh, resource protective technologies. Um, I think it's really incumbent on us to keep that in mind, uh, particularly with the uncertainty as to uh, the amount of natural resources that we have in the area, including developable land and water. Um, and so I think potentially we're going to have to look into incentivizing individuals to um, potentially zeroscape their lawns and everything, and using less resources can bring costs down within the city. I think addressing our uh, crumbling infrastructure uh, is going to be a priority. I know it's going to be really expensive, but once again, I'm pretty sure that there is funding out there. Um, that is available to address those concerns. And having not leaky pipes is going to help a lot in terms of lost cost, in terms of having uh, road crews go out and refix the same pipe like seven times uh, in a winter, which is what I've heard from some of the city staff. And so I think some of these preventative measures can actually help become cost-saving measures in the long run. So Anthony, uh, you've mentioned that reducing UTV noise is one of your priorities. And um, you told us, and you also just mentioned here, that the way you propose to do that, um, or one of the ways, is to build a new road that leads directly to Hell's Revenge, which is a very popular UTV road. Um, how do you propose to fund the building and land ownership costs, since that project would require the city to purchase the land? That would have to be um, 
some type of fundraising towards all the, the jeeping, UTV, all the tourism-based economy to help do the startup costs of it. And I feel like that's a totally fair you know, thing to ask of all these businesses that seem to not... Some of them are taking good steps to trying to drive more quietly, um, but a lot of them just don't give a crap. And I have called them dozens of times to say, hey, what are you doing about your vehicles driving on the sidewalks? Oh, there's nothing we can do. So that, once again, that's why I'm running. So if they can't, if they are refusing to do anything, then we have to do something. And I feel like making that road, um, there is no private property crossed. I've already looked at, kind of mapped it out. It's just all on BLM, uh, Bureau of Land Management stuff. So we would definitely have to talk to them very closely um, to maybe even starting the funding of it, or not the funding, but the donation of a little bit of it to be able to make the road. And then, like I said, you could put a $25 toll fee on it or whatever for a three-day pass, and literally that is millions of dollars in profit for the city itself, and that can change this whole community like you would not believe. We just have to be brave enough to take the step and have enough courage to say, okay, let's do it. So, thanks. Thanks. Um, Josie, you're outspoken about climate resiliency in Moab. Um, there are many short-term, immediately pressing issues that deserve city funding. So, and this is a similar question to Luke's, um, how would you prioritize funding for the longer-term sustainability projects in the city's budget? Um, thank you for that question. Uh, I, I feel very optimistic um, about creative solutions. Um, I, I get really kind of excited thinking about what that looks like for the city. Uh, and I think with something as sort of existential as um, climate change, you kind of have to think in that uh, realm because it's an extraordinary realm. Um, so I see um, a lot of combining, like I said, with the budget question, what's necessary with what's visionary. Um, it's kind of a, it's a permaculture principle to stack functions. Um, and I, I don't want to use a term that's not familiar to people, but that's kind of what I mean uh, in terms of um, paying for the things that are necessary and stacking the visionary things on top of that. So uh, as Luke also kind of alluded to, um, with all of our infrastructure um, that needs that need, needs work in our capital improvement plan, um, as we do each of those things, uh, we include that green infrastructure. And that really is essential not only for the um, health of future generations, but also the economic health um, of Moab. So you know, we have to look at the true cost of what uh, kicking the can on climate uh, change looks like and be climate resilient as soon as possible. So Mike, when we spoke, you mentioned using taxes to pay for um, your projects, which when you explain them to me are housing and infrastructure. Um, the city has been relying on sales tax, but during the discussion on property taxes this past summer, the city determined that relying on sales tax is first unreliable and second doesn't create enough revenue for the city to use it for infrastructure projects. So what changes will you make to our current tax laws to allow them to garner more profit for the city while also remaining within the limits of tax laws in the state of Utah? We need to, as we uh, already have uh, lobbyists pointing in directions of uh, UTV noise and several other points on our lobbyists. 
we need those same lobbyists uh, to lobby to use the ability to have our uh, tourism-based taxes, uh, our TRT taxes, uh, kept in the community. Uh, we need to simply keep more of that in the community. If not directly take away from that fund into our community, we need to raise taxes on that side, uh, even creating new taxes on that uh, in any way possible. And we need those lobbyists to do it. Uh, City Council does not have a direct hand in that, but we do have a direct hand in the lobbyists that are trying to approve that. Anything no. else you can go on? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, so Jason, affordable housing is high on your agenda. The Walnut Lane project is the city's only affordable housing development in the pipeline right now, but it's been slowed down by high, by high construction costs and issues with finding reliable builders. How do you propose the city not only support Walnut Lane, but also expand its budget to, find, to fund more affordable housing projects? Ooh, Walnut Lane, huh? <laughs> you know, Walnut Lane is a great project, and I think Walnut Lane has um, the possibility to to help a lot of people. Um, I also think that um, the government or city government has kind of slowed down the process of what what could have happened. I um, I think that we need to be very careful how we proceed with Walnut Lane. You know, in in budget talks, you know, they're talking how. Walnut Lane is going to be um, in the red for another five or six years, you know, um, once they get things going. Um, that's coming on the backs of the taxpayers of Moab. That's kind of, and that's, we need to figure out if that's fair. We need to figure out if that's right to, to burden the, the rest of the citizens of Moab with this housing process and if they're willing to, to back it. I think there's a lot of great ways that we can, you know, work with a lot of great organizations. The Housing Authority, you know, they, they've been doing amazing things and um, figure out a way to turn this project, maybe turn it over to someone who can run it and can run it well and figure out a way to capitalize on it that we can then, I don't think we need to make money on Walnut Lane. I think we need to provide housing and I think maybe we can use the resources to turn turn that into other projects and that we can keep it going to to help funding housing on the other side but whether or not the city should be involved in housing and be landlords um, I'm not quite sure about if we should do that Thanks. thank you so much to our media partners the Moab Sun News and the Times Independent if you're just tuning in this is KZMU's 2021 candidate roundtable supported by the Grand County League of Women Voters we are here with the five candidates running for two open seats on the Moab City Council. Uh, it looks like we do have time for a listener submitted question, so hopefully candidates are up for it. Um, this one came to us ahead of the event and was submitted to KZMU uh, via email. Uh, this is a general question that we're going to ask of all candidates. Uh, like the rest of the questions tonight, candidates will have 90 seconds to respond. Um, Anthony Charles is up first and Josie Kovash is on deck. Um, so this year, we've heard stories about Moab's local businesses facing high demand for their services, and yet they have difficulty finding and hiring staff. Um, some are shutting their doors more frequently, even during busy weeks. Uh, what do you think the Moab City Council could reasonably do to address workforce shortages and local business retention, especially for the ones that are small, locally owned, and don't necessarily have a corporate structure to help keep them afloat during more difficult times? Um, one of the things that I have also been listening about is the, uh, 
the transportation system that we're, everybody's been trying to figure out how to implement it. Well, there's people that live in Blanding, Monticello, Green River, you know, Thompson, LaSalle, that all commute to here. But they have a hard time getting here when they're only getting paid dirt. So, you know, they gotta have a cheaper way to be able to like ride a bus or, a, or a, one of the transport vans or whatever, you know, from those places. And that's just bringing people that don't so much have the option because maybe they don't have a vehicle or maybe they don't know anybody that travels here all the time or whatever. So just having that would very much help the community because in other in those other communities there's a lot of people there but there's not nearly enough business so there's a lot of like people ha traveling to places to work so if we gave them an easier way to get to wherever they're going that would be a huge thing plus the college is coming in and that's going to be a huge bump in in workforce as soon as that ever gets done okay <laughs> thanks thank you anthony josie you're up all right, so I just took a tour in Colorado and this is really happening all over the West. I work for a small local business that is closed two days of the week because we don't have enough staff. Um, and, and this is a serious problem. Um, and I think if you look holistically at all the problems facing Moab, this is adjacent to almost all of them. Obviously housing is an issue um, and probably the top issue that is driving this problem throughout the West because if you don't have housing, then you don't have workforce. So obviously the city um, really has to uh, be committed to proactive uh, housing solutions. Uh, and there are a lot of them and that's the good news. Um, and then economic diversification is also important um, in this community because it seems that a purely tourism driven economy um, and not only that, but a, a, like an extraction level tourism economy um, creates a lot of wealth disparity, creates, creates a lot of wage gaps, um, and has decreased the quality of life of most people in Moab while increasing the cost of living significantly. Um, and I've definitely seen that just in the 16 years that I've been here, um, hit levels of a chasm more than I would have ever expected uh, in this community. So uh, we have to look at all of those uh, adjacent issues that are making this a primary issue um, and agreed that small businesses can't just be expected to raise wages when all of these other issues that are affecting this issue um, are not dealt with. Thanks. Got it. Thank you, Josie. Mike, you're up. And candidates, I can repeat the question if you'd like me to. Fire away. Okay. So what do you think the Moab City Council could reasonably do to address workforce shortages and local business retention, especially for the businesses that are small and locally owned? With me, it comes down to, again, like almost everyone here is going to say, it's going to be housing. Uh, the people who have staffing right now, the businesses who have staffing, um, usually have their own housing right now. Um, it is that big of an issue. Uh, it comes down to sheer, uh, sheer numbers. Uh, we have more housing, we have more affordable housing, we have more body count. It, it comes down to people that we don't have in town or the availability to even bring people into town because there's no, no such thing as a housing market. It, I mean, there's only so many houses for sale right now. Uh, it, it really is a housing issue uh, in my eyes, but okay. thank you. Thank you, Mike. Jason? You know, I think this is really a, a kind of a Pandora's box of how to fix and how to how to look at it. You know, I, I've there's companies in town that are um, that are buying up houses in residential neighborhoods and they're taking these homes and they're putting 
10, 15, 20 people in these homes. And a lot of the neighbors who live around these homes are complaining. They're complaining that the people aren't taking care of the yards, that there's people that there's, there's trash, you know, that they're, they're kind of bringing a lot of these neighbors down. So that's a problem, you know, and that we need to, um, that we need to address, we need to figure out. We have a lot of these companies who, um, you know, I, I work for a company who we, we've been in Moab since, you know, the, the mid sixties and we've been probably housing. We just built a housing, um, a housing facility for 64 employees. Um, we thought it would take us about four years to fill it up. We filled it up in one year. Not everybody can do that, you know, but, but by those that can do it, they provided, they opened up housing for other people. And, um, and I think that we need to get to the point where when these hotels or, or big businesses are coming in, that the burden of housing those employees is not put on the citizens of, of, um, of Moab and Grant County. You know, that these big businesses are part of um, finding the answer to, to these housing issues and, it's, and, you know, working together to, to make it happen and stuff. So. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Luke, uh, you're up. So, yeah, I feel like I'm kind of going to be beating a dead horse here, <laughs> but I think it does come back to housing at the end of it all. Um, I've been on the planning, uh, the city planning commission for the past two years and looking around at what some of the other states are doing. I think it is important to look at some of the emergency measures that can be taken uh, by potentially allowing people to live in uh, campers temporarily. Uh, while we focus on uh, implementing deed restrictions. It kind of goes back to the localizing our housing market, uh, which is going to involve specific carve-outs for residents' uh, occupancy and ownership in a percentage of the new housing units. Um, I think we can also look into incentivizing uh, local homeowners towards developing accessory dwelling units um, that can create a greater housing supply here. Um, and then we do have some pretty large projects that are in the pipeline right now uh, with Walnut Lane, with Arroyo Crossing and everything right that, like that. And so I think kind of finding some of those stopgap measures that can get us to a point when those things uh, come to fruition uh, will really help us along the way. Uh, but at the end of the day, there isn't going to be a single silver bullet that's going to solve this housing issue. Um, I think it's going to take a combination of actions and approaches to holistically address the causes and like symptoms of this problem. But, yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, candidates. We are getting very close to the end of our city council candidate event. Um, we are moving on to closing statements. Um, closing statements are typically an opportunity for candidates to clarify or expand upon a point. Um, candidates could also summarize their campaign and why voters should elect them to be a decision maker um, in our town for the next four years. Uh, candidates will have one minute for their closing statement. Uh, we're going to start with Josie Kovash. Mike McCurdy is on deck. Thanks, Molly. Uh, as I said at the top, my name is Josie Kovash. I'm running for city council. Uh, my top three issues are housing and economic diversification, uh, quality of life, maintaining a high quality of life by effectively managing tourism uh, and sustainability and climate resiliency. Um, and I... Coming over here, I just found myself taking a really deep breath because I feel like that's what it feels like to live here right now. Um, it has never in my 16 years here felt so difficult and so stressful to live in this community. Um, it used to be quite the opposite. Um, so I just want to take a breath. 
because I think things have gotten really hard for a lot of people living here. Um, but I think that there is a lot of good news. And um, I think that we are not alone. Our issues are happening all over the West. We have a lot of peers uh, working for KZMU. Talking to peers in Colorado um, was the basis of so many of the good things that I did in that job. Um, and I think the city is going in the right direction in a lot of ways. So thank you, yes. Josie. Mike, you're up for your closing statement. Again, my name is Mike McCurdy. I'm running for city council. My main issues were housing, uh, budgeting along with taxation and uh, economic st uh, sustainability uh, in the city. Um, it comes down to, uh, on my part, Votes and decisions shouldn't be made across party lines. I know this is a, uh, a nonpartisan race. Uh, a lot of votes and decisions in our current administration go along party lines. And every issue uh, deserves its own due diligence. Uh, we should be looking at each issue separately and voting upon each issue separately. Um, there's going to be a lot of issues that come up, but each one deserves our time looking at it. And I'd like to be that guy that gives it the time. Thank you, Mike. Jason? I've lived in Moab for 24 years. Um, I have three kids who are going through the school system here. They're now in high school and in junior high. And 24 years ago, I, you know, a lot has changed, a lot has stayed the same. 24 years ago, or maybe 19 years ago, I'd be stressing about how to get through the winter, you know, because this time of year, town would be dead and town would be quiet and it'd be, and, It'd be quiet, <laughs> but also um, I didn't have work. And so while there's a lot that has changed in the fact that um, I do have long, more work and a lot of people us do have more work, um, the consequences are the noise and the hustle and bustle of the city. I've had the opportunity to volunteer on a lot of boards and I think I have a very good idea of how the city works. I have a very good idea of how the county works and I would love to be Moab's first choice for city council, and because I've come to enjoy this town and love it, and thank you. Thank you, Jason. Luke, you're up. So working for local nonprofits and being on the city planning commission, my entire time in Moab has been about service to the community. In these roles, I've seen firsthand how the challenges negatively impact our residents. However, they've also given me the privilege to see Moab embody what Coretta Scott King once said, that the greatness of a community is most accurately measured by the compassionate actions of its members. I can confidently say that we're a great community. So even though I hear from so many of our friends and neighbors that are worried about the direction that we're all headed in, I'm also heartened by that those same people recognize that Moab takes care of Moab because no one else will. Um, I believe that the people in this town can come together and achieve the seemingly impossible. I've seen it happen time and time again. Uh, at the end of the day, I remind myself that Moab isn't made up of its buildings, economy, or zoning code. Moab is our people, and that is who I will, or that, this is who I will leverage my experience and knowledge to fight for every day if I earn your vote. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Luke. And Anthony, closing statement. Um, let's see. So before I moved into the house that I was in, the only issue that I was ever dealing with was gout and kidney stones and a $300 electric bill. That was it, for the most part. But then I move into this new house that I just built, and I, am, I have told the mayor 
in as not like a direct thing, but just like as a kind of a joke type thing that I would board my windows up and move back into the trailer park I was living in because I felt like my life was going to last longer. And I just had a kid. I just had this new house and my wife and this and that. And they, I finally got this far ahead in this town and the uncontrolled UTV pandemic is pushing everyone out. I have lost well over half my clientele. I was a massage therapist for quite a few, or well, since 2013. And people are just saying, I can't handle it. They are pushing us out and all that they're expecting is other businesses to come in without the same rules. So okay. thanks. Thank you. Thank you candidates for participating in this round table. Um, we know that public discourse is not always easy, but it's always important and we thank you. Uh, we will now ask our small live audience for a round of applause for these candidates for bearing with us. Thank you. And listeners, for those of you listening on the radio or streaming us, um, if you missed any of this event or do want to listen later, we will be uploading the recording to our website, kzumu.org, as soon as we can this week. Please keep it tuned to KZMU. We will be returning after a music break to do this all again with the six candidates running for mayor. So we'll be back in a few minutes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to KZMU's 2021 Candidate Roundtable. I'm Sarah Mead, Station Manager at KZMU Moab Community Radio. Thank you to all of our listeners as well. A few more thank yous that are in order to the Grand County League of Women Voters. Thank you for sponsoring this event and for partnering with KZMU on other educational events during the recent and unusual times. We'd also like to thank the Moab Arts and Recreation Center for hosting this evening. KZMU is committed to the safety of our staff, listeners, and participants of tonight's event, so we're following COVID safety protocols as best we can. We are proud to present this event in alignment with our mission to inform, educate, engage, entertain, and connect the communities of Southeastern Utah. And finally, on Indigenous Peoples Day, we acknowledge this land as Ute territory. KZMU is committed to honoring and lifting up the Indigenous history of this place, as well as the voices and stories of all Native people living here today. We encourage our listeners to learn and take action to support Indigenous organizations and individuals in our community. And with that, I'm going to pass it off to KZMU's News and Public Affairs Director, Molly Marcello, host of tonight's event. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, volunteers. And thank you, candidates, for being with us. During this next hour, we will be with the six candidates running for mayor of Moab. Uh, but before we get to the mayoral candidates, we're actually going to first hear from Moab City staff about ranked choice voting. Ranked choice is a new way of voting for our community, and recorder Summer Johnson will be explaining how it works. Summer, you can com come on up here. Um, she's going to briefly explain for our listening audience for our own edification. So this year, the city of Moab has elected to participate in the Ranked Choice Voting Pilot Program. We are one of 23 cities that have opted into the program. It is 
just that, a pilot program. We are not locked into it, but the Utah Ranked Choice Voting folks made a presentation to the mayor and city council earlier this year, and they voted unanimously to join in the pilot program and try it out for this election. So Ranked Choice Voting is a little bit different than your standard ballot. Um, it is a process in which voters will rank the candidates in the order of their preference. And as you go through and you rank your candidates, you do wanna make sure you rank the candidates, all of them if possible. Um, if you were to only rank one candidate and that candidate was the first one eliminated, then you don't have the opportunity to participate in the rest of the election. So you wanna make sure you rank the candidates in your order of preference. If you're interested in finding out more information, uh, we have a lot of information available on the elections page on the city's website, which is www.moabcity.org. Um, and there is an elections tab just right at the top. There are some videos that give information on how ranked choice voting tabulation works. There's a sample ballot available. There's lots of frequently asked questions, important dates and deadlines to remember. So if you need information about the election, please go there or contact the recorder's office at 259-2683. Thank you, Summer, for the Ranked Choice Voting Explainer. Election day is Tuesday, November 2nd. Registered voters should be receiving their ballot by mail this week, so heads up on that. Um, now, let's go to the mayoral candidates. Uh, again, there are six people before me running to be Moab City's next mayor. Um, it's up to you listeners and voters to decide who will best represent you for the next four years. Um, we're gonna start with some rapid fire intros. So candidates have been asked to state their name and quickly list three top issues they are most interested in addressing if they are elected to be mayor of Moab. Um, candidates, feel free to approach uh, the microphone in any order. Do I have a volunteer to go first? My name is Aaron Davies, uh, running for mayor. I will uh, help to improve the housing situation, increase the supply, reducing the price. Also to keep an eye on the spending, making sure that we're spending on wants rather than needs. Perfect. That's it. Okay. Thank you. Rapid fire intros. Okay. Look, looks like Kent wants to go next. Hi. My name's Kent Grant. Um, I'm running for mayor. Hopefully we can uh, solve some problems with uh, housing and our infrastructure and, and just uh, working for the city of Moab. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm Joette Langanese and I'm running because I know that our residents come first and I believe I have the experience and leadership to make that happen at City Hall. Great, thank you so much. Another intro, looks like Sherry. I am Sherry, your first choice mayor hopeful, Sherry Costanza. I'm running with the hopes of bringing together our great community um, with focus on our younger population and I would like to see a more logical and sustainable solution to our housing issue. Great. My name is Bill Winfield. Thank you for inviting me. I'm a local business owner here in Moab independent, fiscally conservative, socially aware. I'm running on housing, housing, and housing, and hopefully some integrity and transparency at City Hall. Thank you. All right, Stephen. Hi, my name is Stephen Stocks, a candidate for mayor. I knocked on roughly 800 homes in the last four weeks, and the three major issues that stood out were one, addressing the crumbling infrastructure, two, addressing affordable housing, three, leadership, and addressing that through communication and transparency. And I believe as a professional, I'm capable of doing this. Thank you. 
Okay, thank you so much candidates for those introductions. Um, I will take a minute to explain how tonight's event will work. First off, KZMU and the League of Women Voters have drafted general questions that will be posed to all candidates. Uh, once we're through those, our media partners at the Times Independent and the Moab Sun News will be asking individualized questions to each candidate based on statements that candidate has made to their paper. And if we have time, uh, we will pose a listener-submitted question to all of the candidates. Uh, candidates will be under time limits when answering questions. Our amazing timekeeper, Bonita Kolb, is here from the Grand County League of Women Voters. Candidates will have 90 seconds to respond to each question. When they have 15 seconds left, Bonita will hold up a sign that reads 15 seconds. When they've reached 90 seconds, she will ring a little bell. <laughs> that means candidates uh, should finish their sentence and leave the microphone. Uh, we've asked our live audience to keep a respectful silence after each candidate speaks um, and reserve their applause until the end of the event. Uh, we are here to participate in an important exercise in democracy, and we aim to treat everyone in this space with fairness and equity. Candidates will be answering questions in rotating alphabetical order. So without further ado, let's go to the first question. Sherry Costanza is up first with Aaron Davies on deck. So question one, the mayor of Moab can be a thought leader, someone with big ideas and a vision for the town, but the mayor's main responsibility is setting the council's agendas, moving through those agendas in council meetings and setting the tone for those meetings. Ideally, this person should be collaborative, capable of working with sometimes divergent interests to help reach agreement. So can you tell us about your experience in collaborative work and your familiarity with effectively running a meeting? Um, <clears throat> we're talking like conflict resolution and things. I have four kids, a husband, a mother-in-law, and pets at home. So every day is conflict resolution in my life. Um, I could talk about my time as president of the FFA when I was younger for many years and National Young Leaders Conference and all of those structured meetings. I know how to run a meeting, know how to keep agenda. It's, it's basic. Um, I, don't, I don't know much else to say about that. Thank you, Sherry. Erin, um, you're up next. Tell us about your experience in collaborative work and your familiarity with effectively running a meeting. I have run meetings before, uh, private groups. I have uh, ran meetings. So, of course, I was on the uh, Castle Valley Town Council. Did not run the meetings, but I did participate in that. So I've got those years of actually being in that seat. Uh, yes, you point out you see that as uh, one of the more important things. It's important because it happens every two weeks, but I don't think it's the deeper thing that's the important part. Uh, so I uh, left business school to get a degree in political science because I was fascinated with how do we all gather together and make this thing work? And Moab is a wonderful example of how we have all these variety of differences. So I think that my job as mayor would be more rather to bring us together. Uh, it would be developing those relationships with the council uh, before the meetings so that when we get there, we can actually do the work. The work actually happens in those meetings. So those are the things that I see as important. I have certainly done management uh, in restaurants and grocery stores over the years. I've had a lot of experience managing people, managing people from all over the world, in fact, uh, diverse backgrounds. 
Uh, <clears throat> I've certainly worked in the area of collaboration, the most recently being working with uh, this, the papers that I worked at. I sold the advertising, but we all worked together to produce each month's paper, and there were a variety of types of papers that we worked on. Otherwise, I think just my own experience as a human being, I've had some rough roads, I've had some dark years in my life, and I've come through that. I've learned how to be persistent, I've learned how to be committed to new goals, I've learned how to change and improve, and I can do that for our city as well. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Aaron. Kent, you're up next. Well, I wonder where I start. I worked for the Grand County Sheriff's Office for 21 plus years. Uh, during that time, my last five years of uh, being a deputy, I ran the Grand County Jail, uh, which became the commander. Uh, I learned how to budget, learned how to run meetings, uh, employees, staffing, uh, incarcerated individuals. I also became uh, the president of the Utah Jail Commanders Association, where I also had to learn uh, how to run meetings and uh, and talk with the Sheriff's Association and the Utah Jails Commander Association. Also, a lot of search and rescue stuff. I was a commander of that for 20 plus years. So I have a lot of experience on how to uh, portray and guide people in the right way and orientate meetings. And, and But budgeting is a big thing. It's uh, one of the biggest budgets in uh, Grand County is the jail. And so, yeah, I think I have enough experience for that. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Kent. Uh, Joette, uh, you're up next. Thank you. Uh, I have a lot of experience in uh, running meetings. I was served on the Grand County Council for two terms. During that time, I was the vice chair or chair six years out of those eight years. I currently am the chair of the Healthcare Special Service District. I've been doing that for three years. I also was the former chair of the Moab's Tailings uh, Committee. And I also am the executive director of the Friends of Arches and Canyonlands Parks, where I have to coordinate meetings quarterly for the board. In terms of collaboration, I have a lot of experience in collaborating with the community. The Moab or Partnerships for Seniors is probably the best example where we had to bring back, bring together people from all over the community to make sure that that development was something that was going to be something that the community wanted. That, that vision includes the Grand Center, the hospital, the long-term care facility, the MAP Senior Housing Project. The other um, collaboration that I've continued to work with is the Moab Tailings Steering Committee, where we really wanted to make sure that the Department of Energy was making sure our community was safe. And so we had to bring all, all the uh, elected officials and other entities in the county together, and that continues to this day. Great, thank you, Joette. Stephen, and candidates, I can repeat the question if you need me to. Would you? <laughs> sure. Um, tell, us, tell us about your experience in uh, collaborative work and your familiarity with effectively running a, a meeting. I had the wonderful experience and opportunity of being the chairperson for the Grand County Change in Form of Government uh, Study Committee. That group was a bipartisan group, and I was unanimously selected to run all the meetings. The meetings lasted roughly one year, and I was able to work collaboratively uh, every meeting, and I led the effort. I made sure that every single person got an opportunity to speak regardless of their background and regardless of their ideas on an issue, regardless of if they were progressive or conservative, everyone had a chance. Another thing that allows me to have a lot of experience in this department is I'm, a, I'm an attorney by trade. 
Uh, I work day to day with a lot of family law cases, criminal cases, and what that allows me to do is be between two people, sometimes mediating the issue or setting expectations for clients. And if you've ever dealt with somebody and the love that they have for their child, I know no other thing in the world that is a very, very difficult thing to share when you go through a custody case. So I'm able to mediate issues, I'm able to see different points, and I'm able to make sure that everyone feels included in this process. And so that's the experience that I would bring to the table as a professional, is someone that's able to be neutral, independent of thought, and consider everyone's opinions so that they are allowed to express themselves fully regardless of their ultimate decision on the topic. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you, Stephen. Bill, uh, you're up. I believe most of my experience comes from being in construction most of my life. I've been owner of my own construction company the last 18 years. I worked um, diligently, regular, on a yearly basis in Nevada with unions, and so we would have to work out collective, collective bargaining in order between the employees and the employers to be able to get through on a yearly basis until there was a better stability in our country. So that went on for years. I've um, been able to bring both sides together between the union operatives and the owners. I worked from both sides of it. I started as an employee and then ended up as an employer. That's the majority of my experience in leading meetings. Um, I believe as a board member and advisor to several nonprofits that my meeting experience was certainly increased being on those boards. So bringing people together, that's really where I see my strength. Thank you. All right, thank you, candidates. For our next question, Erin Davies is first with Kent Green on deck. So morale has been low in recent months at City Hall. Allegations have been made at public meetings about real or perceived problems among city staff, the council, and mayor. Um, problems publicly mentioned include favoritism, retaliation, lack of accountability. Do you plan to address these allegations if elected, and how? What is your plan to help regain stability at City Hall and rebuild resident confidence in their local government? I think if I did not deal with those, tar and feathering would be happening soon. So definitely, yes, looking to deal with that. How is the question. Uh, I think we begin with developing relationships uh, with beginning with the city and staff. Uh, my thought is to meet with everyone, beginning with the, the uh, employees that are the most uh, new in the company or in the, in, the, in the city, working my way up to the administrative people, understanding each individual person, letting them know that they matter to me individually. Now, I understand that my supervisory responsibilities are limited to a few of the, the management-type people, and certainly those relationships I will focus on to get to know them. I think a lot of it is making sure that <clears throat> everyone feels heard, that everyone feels like they have a safe environment to speak their mind. I'm convinced that a lot of the problems that we have in this community we can solve as a group. I believe we have, it's an amazing, amazing community. I love the diversity. I love that we have so many different people from so many different backgrounds and I believe that if we are allowed to enter into a safe environment, that if we are allowed to speak our mind knowing that it's, that it's safe, that I think we'll come up with a lot of those solutions. Um, I think, yeah, the favoritism part, um, it's just not my style. I don't, I don't know how to say it. It doesn't enter my mind. It, it's, a, it's a confusing thought that why would, why would that be the case? 
uh, as far as having favorites. I might have some, well, I better stop because that bell's going to go. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Um, Kent, you are up next. Regaining stability in the city. Um, we always hear the negative um, about what's going on, uh, favoritism, uh, low morale, and things like that, what's going on in our community. But there's a lot of positive things that comes out with that also. Um, being positive is, is a big, big deal to me because um, that's when you bring the negative out. And by doing that, you go with, uh, to each employee and you go with the managers and you have meetings and, and discuss on where we can take steps to, um, to further our, our encouragement of what's going on in the city. Now, as far as favoritism, I don't believe in it. Um, everybody has favoritisms, you know, you never know. You might look a big Newton over an Oreo cookie, I don't know. But uh, if it is an issue, then it's something that needs to be resolved as a group and as a city and let Moab know that we are working on that. And I'm a firm believer on not hiding anything. You know, I want that out there to the public. And obviously there's things that are privy to inside the city that the general public doesn't get to hear and things like that. I do understand that because of certain laws. And I just think we just need to work with each other and find out what's going on. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Kent. Joette, uh, you are up next. Sure, of course. Um, morale has been low in recent months at City Hall. There have been allegations made at public meetings about real or perceived problems among city staff, the council, and mayor. Those problems that have been mentioned include favoritism, lack of accountability, and retaliation. Do you plan to address these allegations if elected and how? What is your plan to help regain stability at City Hall and rebuild resident confidence in their local government? Thanks. I really believe that we need to put the past behind us. I think that those issues came up. We've seen a lot of change that has occurred in City Hall, a lot of vacancies that are at City Hall, and I think the new mayor has the opportunity to meet with a part of the process of hiring a new city manager, and that's where we start. So I believe we need to put everything behind us, start fresh, start with new ideas, and make sure that everything that the city does is to put our residents first. I think that's one of the most important things that City Hall can do. And by doing that, our citizens are going to be feel much more heard. And that's what I'm hearing out in the community. People are feeling left out, and they're feeling like nobody is listening to them. So I look at this as a great opportunity to start new, start fresh, and make sure that the city's transparent and that everything that's communicated gets out to the public. That's so important because if people feel listened to, then the community is going to feel like they're in a much better place. And so that's what I plan to do if I'm elected as, as, as the mayor. Thank you. Thank you, Joette. Stephen, uh, you're up next. I think this is a wonderful opportunity to explain what the mayor does. The mayor is the champion of running the city. They set out a manager, they set out a certain, uh, this, the agendas every day, and they make sure that the community has somebody that they can look to to know whether or not the city is functioning correctly. I think you do that, you have to do that, you have to address the concerns that we've recently had. The reason why is a lot of members of the community are really concerned with what's going on. And just brushing it under the rug is what the people are going to perceive it as if we don't address it. As mayor, how you address these things are, number one, you're transparent about the process. 
it is important that the process is set out in place that everyone knows from HR to all the different departments how we can handle a complaint. And how do we raise a complaint about the city manager? And how do we raise a complaint about the mayor? That process should be set in place and it should be respected regardless of who you know or who you don't know. Next, we need to be professional. That's really critical when we're dealing with each other in the community is we should be professional about how we go about each and every issue. And, and lastly, we need to problem solve. We need to look at what issues are coming out and we need to address them head on. And a lot of the issues have been with HR. And so we need to make sure the training is there and we need to make sure that there's a system that people can address. I think you have to address these issues to regain stability and morale. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. Bill, you're up. Thank you. I um, believe that morale is low throughout the community, not just in City Hall. So it, it's a problem and people are, as they've mentioned as well, saying that it's um, every door you knock on, people feel like they're not being heard at City Hall or they're not able to get access to information. And I believe that we need to start there at the top in the mayor's position and bring a little integrity and a little bit of ethics and moral accountability to, so that the people have somewhere to look and we start department by department and go through. Staff is my guess, I'm not part of staff, I don't know, but my guess is that there's a lot of confusion and a lot of unanswered questions and I'm sure they're all scratching their head wondering which one of us is going to be mayor and be able to lead all this into the next phase but myself i really feel like bringing those qualities into city hall is where we need to start and that's my intention okay thank you thank you bill and, and finally we have sherry well to echo joette um hopefully we get to start completely fresh um addressing stability in city hall Having favorites in a working city government is a breeding ground for toxicity. Everyone should be heard and their integrity of idea taken in. Not every idea is a good one, no matter how much you like the individual that has it. As far as community trust, um, my family and friends are mostly made up of your service worker and industry workers, and they have too much month left at the end of their money and feel that their city doesn't care for them. I will gain our community trust simply by being trustworthy and making sure the community at large stays informed. That's it. Thank you so much, Sherry. And thank you, candidates. Uh, this next question will go to Kent Green first, uh, which at Laney is on deck. So the mayor can play a big role in representing Moab at a state level. They can be involved with the Utah League of Cities and Towns and help staff and council prepare for the Utah legislative session. What do you consider the most pressing legislative issues for the city to be working on in the run-up to the 2022 Utah legislative session? And how will you be involved if elected as mayor? So let me get the question here that you're wanting to know about legislating, how would I would facilitate with that? Exactly, what would be your involvement and what are the most pressing issues that you think that you could be working on in the run-up to the next legislative session? Well, there's a, a lot of pressing issues uh, as our community goes, but by working with legislations, uh, we do have senators, and, uh, and we need to work through our senators to be able to do that and uh, get them down here, give them our concerns, and, and work with them, because that's what they're there for, to represent us and give them full support. Now, there's a lot of issues such as uh, um, 
rules and regulation on housing and things like that that, that some of the rural areas um, are kind of bound by and, and we need to figure out a way to get with these people and help us work through these issues and stuff so we can do the things we need to do without having a government on thumb on us all the time. So the, the key of working with legislation is going through our senators, our representatives. They're, they're the people there to represent us. Okay. Thank Th you. Thank you, Kent. Joette, same question. Well, it's hard to know. It's hard to know what the pressing issues are until we see what our state legislatures are going to propose, which usually is something that um, overrides what the city has already done, which is always very frustrating for all of us. So my intent would be to be very involved at the state legislature level. I know our Senator David Hinkins quite well from the work that I've done on the Tanley's project and other issues. And so I would work with our city staff and also with the uh, city council because they're an important part of, part of the state legislative process as well. I intend to be up at the Capitol whenever needed, depending on what that issue is that's going to have an impact negatively or positively for the community. I think it's extremely important for us to keep our voice up there on Capitol Hill, and that's something that I intend to do, and I have lots of experience doing that, particularly in uh, Congress at the federal level, but also my connections at the legislature because of being a former council member. A lot of the former commissioners that I worked with are now state legislatures. So they all know me. My name is pretty recognizable. So I have no issue with talking to the folks up there to make sure that our priorities are their priorities. Thank you. Thank you, Joette. Stephen, you're up. Could you repeat the question? Again? Yes. The mayor can play a big role in representing Moab at a state level. Uh, they can help staff and council prepare for the Utah legislative session. What do you consider the most pressing legislative issues for the city to be working on in the run-up to the, the 2022 Utah legislative session? And how will you be involved if elected as mayor? The mayor is a lot of times the figurehead of the community. They need to work closely with the city council to be able to identify issues that they have backing on to move forward. I think one of the major issues that we have in this community is local control. That's often cited as a big friction point between the community and achieving the goals that they want to have done. Uh, some of the unique needs that we have in this area don't exist in other areas. We're rural, but we're also really urban in a lot of ways. We have things that other rural communities uh, don't have, and then we have impacts that other areas don't have as well. One of the giant ones is TRT. Being able to identify how we can address changes to, to TRT is a frequent issue for the state legislature, and that's often what we need to do to be, or we also need to address that to make sure that we can get the funds that we need. Oftentimes, that means that we have to build relationships. We have to build relationships to our representatives that a lot of times don't come down to the area, and a lot of times lump us into San Juan County or lump us into areas uh, that really aren't like us. And so what we need to do is we need to reach out and build the relationships. Uh, the neat thing with myself is I'm an attorney. I have a built-in network of attorneys that I can reach out and communicate with. And a lot of your state legislature, uh, there are attorneys and they have the connections. So I'm able to walk into the process understanding the framework of how law becomes law and the process of reaching out to other individuals. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Stephen. Bill, same question. Yeah, I would say that at the state level, we have to go up there and develop some constructive relationships. I believe that 
what happens in Moab is most commonly overlooked up there or regularly overlooked. And so we've got to work on those relationships. I believe I'm in a position as an independent to go up there. I'm a pragmatist, not an ideologue. You know, I know that there's always going to be tension between the state and local level, and we have to do our best to try and represent ourselves up there in a way that is not confrontive or combative at the state level. And so it just as we move forward, we've got to work with the community here to be represented up there so that our voice is heard and recognized. And we definitely have to work on that tax situation to where our fair share is coming back here. So that would be my goal. Okay, thank you, Bill. Sherry? Um, I will be a fierce advocate for Moab. I'll build relationships. I'll track bills that play into the city of Moab's interests. I will keep our voice heard at a state level. And the truth is, I won't know exactly what there is or what can be done until I get there. Thank you. Thank you, Sherry. Aaron, uh, you're up. So uh, working with the Utah State Legislature, that begins January 18th. At this point, I don't know what they have going on this year. My intent is to then study that after the election and to learn as far as that first legislative session. Uh, it has been said, and I certainly agree, that building the relationships is the key to what is needed up there. We have had some rough spots with the state legislature, and it is my intent to build those relationships to where there is a trust, there is a belief that we can work together, uh, the way the government is organized, the Constitution gives the state all the power. They give the city and the county whatever they choose to give the city and the county. They can take it back. And whether or not we like that is not the point. They can't. <laughs> and we need to work within those constraints, understanding that. And so that means working with them from our position, from a humble position of being just a city. Being in a humble position doesn't mean we're not going to fight for what we believe we want and what we need. But it's, but it's giving them that position of respect, understanding that they are in that control. I've uh, been in these kinds of situations before. I'm totally convinced I can develop those kinds of relationships, help them have an understanding. I will have a work with that kind of attitude rather than a thumbing my nose at them, which they have experienced before. Um, yeah, it's the building relationships, like, like, like people have said. I certainly will be up there. I think every Friday there's a meeting. Uh, the Cowboy Caucus, I will be going to that, and that's the fundamental of building relationships. Okay. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, candidates. If you're just tuning in, this is KZMU's 2021 Candidate Roundtable, supported by the Grand County League of Women Voters. We are with the six candidates running for Mayor of Moab. I'm Molly Marcello, News and Public Affairs Director at KZMU. We are now going to open the floor to our media partners, the Moab Sun News and the Times Independent. They will each be asking different questions to each candidate on the same topic. The questions have been tailored to each candidate based on previous statements that candidates have made to the papers. Representing the Moab Sun News is staff writer Allison Hartford. The topic is how candidates will support issues that are important to them within the framework of the mayoral position. So we're going to start off with uh, candidate Joette Langanese and candidate Stephen Stocks is on deck. Take it away, Allison. So Joette, you said you believe your prior leadership experience has helped you learn how to facilitate meetings. What specific tactics do you have for facilitating debate and how would you manage conflict outside of city council meetings? 
Okay, so um, say that the last part again. Yeah, so how would you manage conflict outside of city council meetings? Oh, well, you listen. I mean, that's, that's the simple solution. You always listen first. Let people communicate to you and then pay attention to what they're saying. And then after that, you, have, you develop the conversation. Conflicts outside of the city hall, um, they happen often. In our community, it's very divided. And reality is we have, we're very close together on a lot of issues. So I think the key is to make, make sure that we find that common ground and use that common ground to come to a conclusion that we can all work together to solve. So for me, the best way to solve conflict is just to listen to the other side, listen to all sides, because there's good points and bad points on each side, and as long as we listen to what people say, then we can come to a fair conclusion. And even if it's not something that I agree with, I think that it's really important to recognize that and move on with what that, what that conclusion is. Thank you. Um, Stephen, when we talked, you said that you want everyone in the community to be heard, not just the loudest voices. How will you ensure that citizens who don't normally attend city council meetings and who maybe don't have the time or the resources to do so will have their opinions heard? What can you change to ensure that they will be heard? One of, the, one of my personal passions is I'm, I'm fluent in Spanish. And I, in my work, I communicate with a lot of people from the Spanish-speaking uh, Spanish area. I do immigration law. And that's a really simple fix. What we could do is we can put the agenda in Spanish. We can have in interpreters available. With a 12% population in the Moab area that speaks Spanish, that's mind-boggling that we haven't yet reached out to that community. And yet we're there when there's... Uh, when ICE comes into town, the city has responded. But a lot of times, we don't, we don't do things at the city level that could be really simple to reach out. Uh, continuing on that as well, we have a lot of weight that we put on the Multicultural Center for translating services. In my work representing people for, for criminal cases, a lot of times you'll have a child explaining uh, to their parents that they have a no-contact order. That is horrendous. That is terrifying. Um, and we could have Spanish-speaking services within the city. That's one easy fix that's really manage manageable to do. And the next, we can really advocate. I think the mayor can reach out to the community and be open and have an open door policy. I think having town hall meetings and kind of giving the ability to the community to, to communicate on a frequent monthly basis would be something that would be nice as well. Thank you. Thank you. Bill, you've said that you're running for mayor because you believe there needs to be more transparency at City Hall. The city discusses their budget and housing-related agenda items in public meetings, which have associated documents online, and they are available to the public online. So how would you work within the framework of the mayoral position to create more transparency at City Hall when it comes to the budget and housing issues? The budget is online. You have to dig very deep to find items in that budget that you want to look for. You also have to go in and request through a grammar process if you want to find out what employees' wages are. Now, there are fair.gov websites and different ones out there that try and post it based off of information they have, but why do we have to go there? Why is it not available to the public? The, everything from wages to line items on the budget, the enterprise fund, there's all kinds of things. The enterprise fund was set up 
to handle infrastructure repairs, but yet currently we're, it depends on what word you want to use, but robbing is a good one, to cover overhead, salaries, when that fund was intended for infrastructure. So there's a lot of line items that are on the budget, and to the average person, it's hard to find out what those mean. And we've got to make it to where it's obvious what's going on in there. There's a money trail, and it shouldn't require a grammar request to find out what an employee at the city of Moab makes. So my goal would be to open that up more and to make it to where people can walk in. It should be any person off of the street to come in and find that information. Thank, Thank you. you. So, Sherry, you mentioned something that's important to you is seeing more community involvement at City Hall. How would you adjust the citizens to be heard section of city council meetings to allow for more community involvement? I don't know what adjustments would need to be made. I think that more our community, more community would be involved in my run if I were there because in the short of the amount of people that I know and the age group and my demographic of our community. Um, I have kids that are in their 20s and their friends and then my husband's seven years younger than I am and our friends all together and collectively that demographic doesn't really get invested into politics. They don't think that their city or this administration really cares about what they have to say. So open the mic up, make the space bigger. Thanks. Um, Aaron, throughout this forum, you've said that what makes you a good candidate is your ability to bring people together. If the city council and the citizens are in a disagreement, such as what happened this past summer with the property tax debate, how would you manage that conflict outside of city council meetings? Well, it's been said, but certainly it's a, it's a matter of listening. It's a matter of creating that safe space for everyone to listen. Uh, <clears throat> a mayor can meet with one council person alone. That is legal. And I would, I would look to do that. I would look to have those personal conversations, develop those relationships uh, over some period of time, I hope quick. Those relationships would get to where we have an understanding. We understand where we agree and where we disagree. And we would find ways to kind of work toward the parts that we do agree. So when we get in the meetings... We're not surprised by anything anyone else is, is saying. Um, the phrase I like is that to have empathy and compassion for each other, even when we disagree. Uh, one of the main reasons I'm running for mayor is because of what I've seen happening in our community. I love this community. Uh, I love the Red Rocks have since a kid. I grew up in Utah. I've been coming here since... A long time ago um, and I love the diversity it was just amazing to have this kind of diversity and we basically got along this first number of years I was here but that's changing a lot of anger going on fear hate going on that's just oh, I, oh it makes me so sad to see that hate and I believe that if we just stop for a minute choose to trust each other just step back for a minute I believe we can come together and find some solutions without getting so angry, etc. So, Kent, when we spoke, you mentioned to me that you're running for mayor because you want to help alleviate pressure on the community um, while also being a part of Moab's future growth. Do you think those are competing ideas? And if not, why not? 
How would you work within the framework of the mayoral position to help Moab grow while also relieving current pressures related to that growth? Well, obviously Moab's still growing and uh, we're gonna get a lot of pressure. And uh, quite frankly, if you just look at the valley, everything's just moving south and it goes into San Juan County. Um, to alleviate some of that pressure, you know, one of the things uh, we need to do is explore is, is I still believe we need a, a bypass through Moab. And I think that needs to be explored um, more because we do have a lot of traffic on Main Street. As we all know, we have a state highway. It runs right through Moab, Utah. And uh, with the construction that just happened, you know, now we alleviated some traffic and uh, it goes through a little faster. But the problem we're gonna face is where are we gonna put it? Because a lot of people don't want it in their neighborhood. Uh, they don't want it in their backyard. Uh, housing is a big issue. You know, we're, you know, we're getting a lot of pressure for that. Uh, I personally believe that, that we need to do, um, number one, the city shouldn't be in the real estate business. Uh, number two, I think we need to think about more building tiny homes, uh, apartment rentals, because a lot of people need to get a start uh, by renting an apartment. A lot of couples, a lot of single people need to do that. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's just getting with the community and get their ideas. That, that's where it's at, because we, we work for the people if we're elected. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Allison and the Moabson News. Up next is Carter Poppy of the Times Independent. Carter will now be asking questions based on the TI's election coverage. Um, Carter has tailored uh, his questions to each individual candidate based on previous statements that candidate has made to uh, the paper. The topic is water. Uh, we're going to start with candidate Stephen Stocks. Candidate Bill Winfield is on deck. All right, Stephen, uh, many of the people sitting next to you and probably many of the people in this room have differing views about what the studies of Moab's groundwater systems show about the availability or lack of availability of water in the valley. While part of this is a difference in emphasis, the discussion around groundwater is also laden with contradictory factual claims. What is your plan to wade through the competing interpretations of the facts about water availability in Moab? In other words, how will you move this discussion toward a shared understanding of the facts? Now, I'll be the first to tell you I am not a water expert. I think there are many people in this community have a lot of knowledge about water and about the studies. What we need to do is we need to reach out to the individual individuals that know the topics. We need to bring them forward. We need to have workshops. We need to have the ability to communicate with all of the different positions on, uh, on the individuals that say, well, we think that we're using every single droplet of water that falls each year. We think we're using that amount and the aquifers won't support the current growth. If there are people of that mindset, we need to give them the ability to talk. And then we also need to give the people that don't want to push the big red button that slows everything down and puts restrictions in place. Because ultimately what happens is it's the city council that's going to make the big decisions on this. And so as the mayor, you need to reach out to all the different groups that want to have a say at the table. And I think based on my conversations with people that are running for city council and the people that are in there, these are very motivated and intelligent people that are going to go through and, and listen to the factors and listen to all the different evidence, and they're going to make their own individual decision. Because I, as mayor, I don't have the 
uh, ability to just force an issue through, but ultimately it's going to be their say. And so that's how I wade through is by presenting the opportunity for people to come and present evidence. And I'm not going to be an obstructionist where I'm selecting people uh, based on my personal beliefs or based on my um, preference, but instead having an open communication to get uh, a good decision at the end of the day. Okay. Thanks, Stephen. Uh, Bill, you said in your answers to our questions about water, quote, as the city's water conservation plans make clear, sustainable growth will not overdraw our aquifer, end quote. That sentiment, as I just alluded to, contradicts what your peers, some of your peers, have said about the water situation. Some have said that studies indicate the aquifer does not have as much water as previously thought. So which is it? Is our growth sustainable, or are the studies yielding alarming results? <laughs> that might be loaded. Um, there's no doubting that we live in a drying west town that's in the middle of a, a drought. Okay, we're here. This is the desert. It's Utah. There's no way around it. But the studies, and currently the city of Moab's 2021 study shows that there's more than enough water to substantiate some future growth, especially for affordable housing. I'm not talking about growth for large corporations, more hotels. I'm talking about growth that we need right now in the housing sector. We don't, we don't need it three years ago. We don't need it in five years. We did need it three years ago, but we've got to do it now. It's got to happen this year. It's got to happen next year and the following year until we've got the housing needs met. And by its own admission, the 2021 water study shows that 20% of the total water used in Moab is lost from the point of conception to your water meter and my water meter. The city has a 20% loss. It's time to start looking at that as well as incentives to bring people and in try and get them to do away with some of these large lawns and other water uses that we're in the middle of. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. Sherry. <laughs> on the subject, <laughs> on the subject of disagreeing interpretations of the studies of Mobs Aquifers, who are the authorities you trust to help you interpret the findings? Should we trust the state engineer, whose numbers indicate that we can draw more from the aquifer than we currently do? Is it city staffers who created the reports that similarly indicate we have more in our watershed we could extract? Or is it the people saying we need to be more careful? <laughs> Carter. <laughs> um, I think it's, it's not just one or the other. I think it would be a culminative of everything and keeping track and continuing studies. I mean, our water is a life-giving resource. Um, we need to keep with the ongoing studies and act accordingly. I think as far as plans of actions, should we end up with less water than we thought we had? Um, that should be known to everybody prior to some chaotic event. You know, I hope we don't get to the point where we have to implement like water quotas, um, but maybe like 
Bill said to give incentives to persons and business and homes for their water using discretion. Um, but yeah, I think it's not just a one or the other to listen to. It's going to be accumulation of, I, I mean, I, I agree with science. So, studies. Okay, thanks, Sherry. Aaron. Uh, so, you said in responses to our questions about water, quote, taking care of our water is the responsibility of the entire community, end quote. Uh, you also said it would be important to focus on our, quote, individual similarities, not our dif differences, end quote. As useful as finding common ground is, there are also important differences between people in the community. For example, some people use a lot more water than others because they have lawns. What is your approach to acknowledging and addressing those important differences between people in these discussions? Yes, well, political scientists have been asking that question for a very long time. That is the key of how we live in a society. We have different desires, interests, and abilities. Our use of water is a great example. Part of that use that you get into, is it use or is it abuse? And yes, there's a difference of opinion. Uh, the same use, the same activity of it can be viewed differently. That is the problem, and, and that is part of the problem, that we have those differences. I mean, clearly we have limited water, so keeping watch on it is, uh, we, we must do that. It appears from the city study that we're doing okay, great. Uh, let's keep watching it. My concern is that in every area, and this is a prime area, that we not respond out of fear. The, to imagine, oh, we're all going to die in 10 years because the water runs out. Um, a lot of other things we'll probably die of in 10 years, but it's not, I don't think it's water. It, it is a very difficult thing. It really means a matter of talking with people, respecting each other's opinion, respecting their perspective. There, this is something that we're never going to have an answer on. It always is going to be people who are making their best efforts, educated people, and they're going to come up with some different ideas. We're never going to get a single answer. So it does mean a matter of trying to have that agreeable nature, work together, be smart about how we restrict, and also make sure that the economy keeps going and people, we don't go back to 1985. We want to make sure we never do that. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, Kent, some of the city council candidates have argued that once mob is out of water, that's it. We're all out. You've expressed that you don't see a high risk of overdrawing our aquifers. So what is your response to Moabites who express concern about overdrawing our aquifer, especially your opponents who say that it's a serious present risk? Well, it's really hard to talk about water since we've been getting all the moisture we've been getting here lately, <laughs> you know, which is great. It's a blessing. Um, just by reading your article, as a matter of fact, uh, what you put, the information that you gave us about uh, the studies that have been done, um, it, it shows that uh, we're currently not at a high risk. That we're currently not at a high risk level right now. Um, do I think it's important? Yes. Um, you know, it's uh, we've got to take in consideration when planning for future businesses and and. Uh, and also in the county and not only the city, but we definitely need to be proactive in protecting our source so our future residents don't have to uh, be reactive to mismanaged aquifer. 
Um, we are already trending down for usage of water in the city right now, so there would be no reason to implement the new plan that, that they're doing right now. It seems to be look, working pretty good. But at the end of the day, people know when they're being wasteful. And we should continue to encourage locals and visitors to be mindful when we're using our water. And that would be the best way to manage our usage, I think. Thank you. Thanks, Ken. And Joette, so you said in your water answers, quote, it is my opinion that residents should come first when there is not enough water to meet the demands, end quote. Residents make up 50%, 5-0% of the usage of the municipal water system. A lot of that goes toward landscaping. By comparison, far less goes towards lodgings. How can you significantly reduce water usage, which you say is important, if you're not going after the biggest water users, residents? Your questions, I'm telling you. <laughs> I, um, I, I, there's a water conservation plan that the city has put in place, and I believe that we need to follow that plan. I think that a lot of residents really don't know what their options are. That plan has not, I mean, I have never seen that plan. It's never really come out to the public. And so people don't know what they need to do to help reduce their water consumption, then they don't know what to do. So it's really important that the city, and as mayor, I will ensure that that gets communicated to the public, that this is your options. These are some of the things you can do. Repeat, repeat, repeat. If you continue to repeat the options that people have to reduce their consumption, eventually they're gonna start to listen to you. And I, and I don't think that people want to wait to the point where we have to do it. So let's get people educated now and then allow them to choose what they need to do that will meet the needs for their gardens, for their lawns, which I agree with others that have said we need to get away from lawns. Um, you know, let them have the opportunity, but they need to know what those options are. And um, I do believe that in the future, we need to be prepared for where, who's going, to, when we do, if we do have a water shortage, who's gonna get that water first? Okay, thanks, Joette. Thank you so much to our media partners, the Times Independent and the Moab Sun News. If you are just tuning in, this is KZMU's 2021 Candidate Roundtable supported by the Grand County League of Women Voters. We are here with the six candidates running for mayor of the city of Moab. Um, we are flying through this event, so we do have time for a listener-submitted question, candidates. Um, so we're gonna do that now. Um, this listener question was submitted to KZMU via email ahead of this event. This is a general question that will be asked of all candidates. Like all of our other questions, candidates will have 90 seconds to respond. Um, Bill Winfield, uh, you're up first, and Sherry Costanza is on deck. So many of you have heard from community members that housing, its affordability, its availability is the number one issue in our town. Uh, the mayor you know, cannot vote, but they do set the agendas for the city council. How would you influence local lawmakers in a way that could help our housing crisis? Can you name some you know, real actionable steps that you would take as mayor um, in the short and long term? Sure, the, the first thing we need to do is we need to get something being built on Walnut Lane. I believe there's 82, maybe it was 84 units planned down there. We're into the year three here. I think we're closing out year three and we haven't built anything. 
we've got to move that forward. We turned into just being a slumlord, really. When you go down there and walk through, and I knocked on all those doors two days ago in that trailer court, and it's appalling what's going on just where they are living currently. So first, we've got to move Walnut Lane forward. We've got to get the infrastructure done, and we've got to get some houses built in there, and that might be that we've got to look to some other organizations that we haven't involved currently. Even if we just go to them for their advice, who's built more houses in Moab than the Housing Authority? Who's built, who else has helped us here? The Straw Bell community, there's been all kinds of people, and yet we're down there spinning our wheels, and those folks, uh, whew, I feel bad for them. So that's the first place we need to start, and then we've got to start looking for other areas. We need a couple of more high-density housing units. We need another cinema courts. That, I mean, I think there's only 60 units there, but we've got to get some housing quickly, and we need to go to those people that have the experience to help us and possibly get us out of the landlord business. Okay. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Bill. Um, Sherry, you're, you're up. Can you repeat the question? Sure. Um, you know, the mayor ca uh, cannot vote, but they do set agendas for the city council. How would you influence local lawmakers in a way that could help our housing crisis? Can you name some real actionable steps that you would take as mayor to address housing in the short and long term? I, I don't know the answers as far as the housing. Um, I don't want to say crisis goes, affordable housing. We need a hotel-sized housing for less single families and more single people. Um, I guess, you know, having, having people stay in their campers and such until something passed. You know, I have a lot of people ask, and I see it a lot on the Moab Classified ads and such about people wanting a driveway or a place to set up for the season for them to work and they need a place to park their camper so possibly alleviating some of those codes for some people to do that but you'd have to have kind of a time time proximity on such because you wouldn't want that to become an overran sort of everybody living in driveways but yeah we need to we need to work on a solution that and I don't I don't know what that is I don't know if anybody does yet or I think that they would have came up with that by now so it's a works in progress thank you Sherry Aaron you're up first actionable step is make it a priority choose as a city the most important thing is the housing a lot of other fun projects that people in the city and the, the council, the mayor, are spending time on that are not the priority. The city spends money, but they also spend time. When the housing, when the planning department is being spent, is having, is directed to spend time on other stuff, that means it's not a priority. A priority is a priority. It means first thing. Most of the time being spent. So actionable steps, that has to do with making it a priority. More specifically, the priority would be higher density. The city and the county for the last few decades has been focused on low density. They have insisted that the lots be large, that there be empty spaces, which became weed patches. A large lot automatically means an expensive house. So it means switching directions and going with the high density. 
and committing to it, making the hard choices, some people are going to complain about it. It means all those projects in the last few years that the city council has voted down because one of their favorite benefactors has gotten on their case and said, you better not let that in my neighborhood. This is countrywide. A lot of cities are having problems with certain people having too much influence and large beneficial projects not being allowed. That needs to change in Moab. Okay. Thank you, Aaron. Kent, you are up. I'm up. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I agree with everybody that's here. Uh, definitely Walnut Lane is a big uh, issue here. We need to get off our duffs and get it done. Um, how do we do that? I don't know. Um, but obviously there's a lot of in input from the community. Uh, we have a great uh, realtor um, workforce here in Moab, and they're smart. They're not dummies, and we need to get with them. And uh, affordable housing is at, is at the heart of this trend that we're in. And uh, we have nowhere for families to start out in this town. We need to fix that. Uh, how do we do it? I don't know. You know, we get people together and figure it out. I want to find realistic solutions to this problem and would definitely pursue policies to create affordable housing in this town. In a way, in a way, building, you know, rentals and, and uh, first home inventories, we need to stop talking about and just do it and get it done. Um, I think apartments need to be built. That's first, first, that way people can move into them, save their money, and then they can buy their house. Um, we've, you know, we've got to get rid of, you know, we've got to get high density. Uh, I don't know why we haven't explored Sitland land. And uh, I think that's another way, you know, because not only it benefits uh, the housing issues, but it might benefit the schools also. Okay. Thank, you. Thank you, Kent. Uh, Joette? I feel as though um, the, city, the city could be a great facilitator for workforce force housing, but, and they shouldn't get in the way of what we want to do. We've got community rebuilds. We've got um, the housing authority. We've got the um, Moab Land Trust. So the city can help facilitate that. Some of the action steps that we can take, example, the MAP Senior Housing down on that property where the hospital is, the healthcare district donated that land to the housing authority. So that took that price right off the table. They were able to put all the funding for that project into the project. Fantastic housing opportunity for seniors. There's eight acres of land down there I think that it would really be important for the city to work with the Healthcare Special Service District to talk about perhaps developing some housing down there for healthcare workforce. That's a real need in this community. We all know that healthcare is a huge priority for those of us that live here, for our vis visitors, and for future development. So it seems to me that there's a lot of opportunity. The city should let those options happen and kind of get out of the way and make sure that they, they can they can work the way that we need them to work for our community so the workforce is taken care of so that we have the services that we need. Okay. Thank you, Joette. Stephen. Could you repeat the question one more time? Yes, of course. Um, many of you have heard from community members that housing, its affordability, its availability is the number one issue in our town. Um, how would you influence local lawmakers in a way that could help our housing crisis? Can you name some real actionable steps that you would take as mayor to address housing in the short and long term? I think the number one thing to realize is the mayor's role. 
Um, everyone up here gave wonderful answers about how they would personally take action and, and lead the charge. But the first thing that you need to do is you need to reach out to your city council members. They're the ones that, the, that are the policymakers. They set the stage. As mayor, we can't run out and go change things or try to take this under our own control and power. There are some places where we can. We can definitely do things with Walnut Lane. But apart from that and beyond that, we're limited by the city council. We need to first and foremost reach out to every city council member and say, hey, where are you at on this issue? I haven't been in office, so I don't know what's going on. What are your perceptions? And you talk to each city council member. You talk to the three that will be in there uh, and the two outgoing and the two ingoing. You sit down, have a conversation. Next, as mayor, you set the agenda. You set it out as a priority goal. Hey, we're going to talk about the housing issue. And this is really important to me. Do you guys feel the same way? Because if your city council isn't behind you, which I believe they will be, but you need to build that bond to start off. So first, number one is talking with them. Next, bringing other people to the table. Now, I'm not a real estate agent. I'm not a developer. So you need to communicate with people like, like that to help bring forward the, the charge on, on making decisions. And again, the mayor is supposed to be neutral. We're not supposed to be advocating or trying to put our thumb on the scale, but instead let the city council make their decision and make their decision be heard. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Stephen. I cannot believe it, but we are nearing the close of this mayoral candidate event. Um, we are moving on now to closing statements. Uh, closing statements are typically an opportunity for candidates to clarify or expand upon a point that they've made earlier in the evening. You can also summarize your campaign and why voters should elect you to be a decision maker to be mayor for the next four years. Candidates uh, will have one minute only um, for their closing statement. Uh, we're going to start with Sherry Costanza. Aaron Davies is on deck. Greetings, Moab, my fellow candidates. KMZU, thank you for the production. I am your first choice mayor, hopeful Sherry Costanza. I live here. I'm running on the hopes of bringing together our great community with a focus of our younger population by giving them space and activities dedicated to this safe and organized gatherings. I will do everything I can to see that our community feels that their elected officials care and have the interest of the residents who make Moab home. We will work together the way a small town should. I would like to see a more logical and sustainable solution to our housing issue. As Stephen said, that it is a city council thing all the way, and I will support them as much as possible. And that's it. Thank you. Thank you, Sherry. Aaron. Yes, Aaron. Uh, firm, compassionate leadership. That's what I am claiming I will bring to the office of mayor. Uh, almost opposite things it could be. But that is what I'm claiming, that when the issue is clear and we've come to an agreement that I will be firm in pressing through. The compassion is to understand each individual and where tough times are hurting people and to, to respond to that. I'm asking you all to vote for me. I'm asking you, when you do vote, vote alone. Don't be pressured. Don't have uh, peer pressure convince you what you should vote. Vote by yourself. It used to be we'd go in the booths and no one could watch us. Vote like that. Uh, my website, AaronForMayor.org, has a ranked choice voting link. You can understand that better. It also has a registration link. My goal is to move forward, not the fantasy of moving back. Move forward with vision into a new and better Moab. Thank you, Aaron. Kent. Thank you for this opportunity. It's been great. Um, 
I just want everybody to know that I'm, I'm running because I'm very passionate about our community and about our city. Um, coming, uh, my grandkids are seven generations here. We have a lot of time in Moab and um, I'm just, just very passionate. But I just want people to know that I will have an open door policy by phone, by just coming in, um, whatever, setting up a, um, a web page where they can uh, ask questions and things like that. But I want everybody to know that uh, as a mayor, I work for everybody, not just a few handful. And that's been a big issue in Moab. And uh, I just want people to know that, uh, that they can come to us, come to me, and uh, I'm gonna be fair and transparently, and I'm gonna listen to all, not just a few. Thank you. Thank you, Kent. Joette. Yes, thank you guys for hosting this. This has been a great opportunity for the community. Um, as a 24-year resident of Moab, I love this place, and I care about this place, just like every candidate up here does. I feel like we've seen a lot of changes over the years, and the city is facing quite a few challenges. I feel like that requires somebody with a lot of experience and leadership. And I feel like I bring that to the table. I know that through the experience that I've had over the last 24 years, that I can help move our town into, the right, into a good and right positive direction. I'm up to the task. I will hit the ground running as soon as I'm in office, and I will deal with all the promises and challenges that our community face in the coming years. Thank you. Thank you, Joette. Stephen. Hello again, my name is Stephen Stocks. I'm running for mayor. Um, I'd ask for your consideration. My goal is to go into the role of mayor and carry forward good governance. And what that looks like is that's leadership from the top down. So that everyone knows when they come to City Hall that the process will be transparent, there'll be open communication, and that you'll get treated like everybody else, not just about who you know. I'm an individual that can communicate with the most progressive to the most conservative individual in the community. And that's what you need in the mayor. You need somebody that every single person in this community can reach out and talk to. Most important, I'm a professional. Uh, in my daily life, I maintain a standard of professionality, and it is critical that we get somebody in the office that's not looking to, to achieve one goal or another goal in an issue-based uh, stance, but instead to be open the transparent neutral process and I believe I can do that thank you okay thank you Stephen and Bill thank you um, for letting me be a part of this for sure Moab is made up of both long-term residents and new residences here and they've always opened up the city of Moab has always opened up its arms to everybody and we have to continue doing that and in order to continue doing that we need housing we've got to be able to house these people that have nowhere to live in this city that we're part of we don't even have a housing director at the city we've got so many directors over there why not a housing director so let's move forward let's get some of this stuff taken care of let's get some people into some houses i'll be honest with you i'm not a politician and i'm not going to apologize for not being one i think it's time for just some common sense to be brought into moab and that's what I'm offering. Thank you. 
Thank you so much, candidates. Um, we want to extend a big thank you to all six candidates running for mayor of City of Moab. Public discourse isn't easy, but it's always important, and we thank you. Um, can we have a small round of applause from our live audience? Thank you. Before. Before we pack up tonight, I do want to remind listeners that Election Day is Tuesday, November 2nd. Registered voters should be receiving their ballot by mail this week. In addition to thanking all 11 candidates who participated in uh, tonight's event, uh, we want to thank everyone who made it happen. Thank you so much to the Grand County League of Women Voters for your support, sponsorship, and volunteers. Thank you to the Moab Arts and Recreation Center for hosting us this evening. Thank you to the Times Independent and the Moab Sun News for your election coverage and coming here tonight to ask questions. And thank you to the people listening from home for participating in our local election process. If you missed any portion of this three-hour event, you will be able to listen to it later. We will get it on our website as soon as possible at kzmu.org. And one more thank you to our KZMU staff and volunteers who made this roundtable happen. Um, there's Bob and Donnie doing all of the engineering over there. Kick is in the on-air booth making sure things sound good. And Sarah, general manager, of course. Thank you, Sarah. KZMU's mission is to inform, educate, engage, entertain, and connect the communities of southeastern Utah. We seek to provide our community with opportunities to exercise their First Amendment rights regardless of beliefs or circumstances. And we hope we have achieved that this evening. Thank you.